Father, we're thankful for this day, for the Sabbath day. And we want to pray, Father, that our hearts would be transported into a place where we can hear thy words, where we can feel thy spirit, where we can hear thy voice and thy purpose and thy meaning for us. We want to pray, Lord, that as we collectively are approaching thee now in prayer, that you would hear our humble prayer for the strong desire in our heart to be able to meet thee today. We want to pray for those, Lord, that are carrying burdens with them to this place. And pray, Lord, for a period of time that there actually would be a balm of Gilead for us to be able to see things in a different way and in a different light that would be more like the way you view our lives and our purpose. We want to thank you, Lord, for all the goodness that we receive at your hand, your continued faithfulness to us in this past week, even bringing us to this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name with grateful hearts. Amen. Loved ones, this morning's message uh, would like to continue, actually, with, in some ways, the theme of last Sunday's um, Bible class lesson that Brother Jeremy conducted. Very good lesson. And uh, my mind and my heart went in, in a little bit different direction as we were reading together from, from Genesis 12 that I was pondering on in this past week. And uh, I find the book of Genesis and the journey of Abraham to be so very contemporary in our cultural context right now. It is a journey in the Bible of Abraham, him and his descendants, like an odyssey, an epic tale of him walking together with God. And the things that happened on Abraham's journey is not unlike the crises that we see in the lives of people today. And actually, in some ways, might be part of our struggles that we have in life that uh, we are not immune to on the face of this earth. We're living in a moment where a lot of people are suffering from an identity crisis. We see this in our public debate. We see this... uh, as the philosophic crisis of the moment. People are searching for meaning and purpose in many, many different things, and it evades them in many ways. There's no reference point in life. They're trying to find something that they can build on, and they're struggling among shifting sand to try to find something stable that they can anchor their life on, anchor our culture on, anchor our economics on, anchor our political institutions on, in the middle of shifting sand. For many people, underneath this all, their life is a mess. And they are desperately trying to find something to redeem them out of that mess. Something that they can stand for something that they can stand behind, some banner that they can fly, that somehow in their minds is going to make sense of it all. And we have to realize that uh, public expressions at times 
really are just voices of people that are aching on the inside to try to make sense of it all. But at its root, at its root, this has to do with identity. It has to do with people's search for purpose and meaning and who they really are. And that's why I love, really, really love the book of Genesis. Because in some ways, you know, when we follow the life of Abraham, it's the same story. It's a man that started in a place far away that was on a journey to a place where God ultimately was going to give him meaning and give meaning to his descendants. We find in the book of Genesis that this struggle is new for every generation. We find in Genesis, just like our day today, you have men of faith that raise children who are become atheists, who raise children themselves that ultimately, again, become people of faith. And the tale sort of goes on and on for each generation deciding amongst themselves who they are and what life is about. For that reason, Genesis speaks in a very direct way to our point in time that I'd like to look at in somewhat detail today in parts of Abraham's life and in the life of his son Jacob. One short note before we read um, the scripture today and get into this. I really hope that as time goes on, that the message of the Bible continues to have a fighting chance in our public dialogue, a fighting chance. I'm not sure that it's going to go that way. There are many efforts to silence many, many different voices. I'm not negative in that regard, but I just don't know if it's going to go that way. One thing that I do know is, is that by getting, um, by trying to bring a biblical voice into our cultural narrative, we're not going to make any headway by thumping the Bible. We have a challenge, like every generation has before us, that we need to bring the message of the scripture anew into the language and the thinking patterns of the culture in which God raised us to. Every person on the face of the earth, God caused to be born at a certain time according to his choosing, according to his purpose. He doesn't make any mistakes. And you and I have been born into this moment for a particular reason. And God has chosen in earthen vessels to have people of faith carry the message of the Bible anew into the culture in which they live, in vocabulary which the culture can identify with, in thinking forms and patterns that people can identify with. 
Martin Luther once said, if we fight every battle, except the battle that's the immediate one that's before us, we lose. And there's always the temptation in life to be fighting the wrong battles. Or not realizing the context in which we're living in. We, we need to be, uh, I've, I've, I've lost the word now, some, some of you can help me here. Um, like, the, oh, like the sons of Issachar. You remember them from the Old Testament? The sons of Issachar who knew the days in which they lived, the Bible says. Something about these men that they understood the context of the time in which they live and acted into their worlds in a totally appropriate way. In that regard, the the message of, of Genesis speaks, I think, quite well and loudly into this culture if we can actually interpret it in the thinking patterns that our society lives in. If we express the Bible in different ways and different vocabulary than we're used to using, that does not mean that the Bible loses its power. Truth is truth. And if the devil says two plus two equals four, it happens to be truthful. Okay? Truth is truth. And the way that we express it into our culture, hopefully is done with enough concern and care for others around us to try to reach them in their language. What do you think that it was like for Brother Vic Schlaughter and Elsie when they went to the highlands of Papua New Guinea in the 60s and tried to bring biblical thinking into a language that they didn't even know? They had to learn this language, and I guarantee you, in that language, there were no words like justification, no words like redemption, no words like conversion, no words like the things that are common part of the way we speak. Brother Vic and Elsie needed to learn the language forms of Papua New Guinea and translate the Bible into patterns that would mean something to the people that were listening. We must try, as God gives us ability and strength and a sound mind, he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but as we read in 2 Timothy, he's given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind to articulate biblical truth in our day and time that hopefully has the chance of meeting other hearts. Now to Abraham. To Abraham. This morning's message is going to sort of center around a phrase that we read often in uh, Genesis. We find in Genesis that Abraham and those after him are constantly pitching their tents. They're pitching tents. We're going to read about this later. I'm not so sure that that is just telling us that's where they set up their tent to go camping. I think it means something else when the Bible says that Abraham looked over the land, choices that he had to make in life, and he pitched his tent in a certain place. Tells us something about what Abraham was thinking, what was in his heart, his inclinations, and his values. So let's read with each other one of the first times that we hear something about Abraham pitching his tent, which is 
part of what we read last week in our Bible class. If you wish to turn with me to Genesis 12, we'll just be reading three verses from Genesis chapter 12, from verses 6 to 9. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, which, by the way, is also called Shechem in other places in Genesis, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham, unto Abram, excuse me, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai, or Ai, in other places in Genesis, on the east, And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. I'd like to stop reading there. This is one short moment in Abraham's life on his way to the Negev. In that moment of time, he was brought to the plain of Shechem, Moray, in sight of Ai, and in sight of Bethel, and Abraham pitched his tent. You know, we're not really set up for this. I kind of wish, wish we were to be able to show you some pictures of Bethel, Shechem, the plain of Moray, Ai. You know, we read in the Bible and we think like these places are far apart from each other. They are not. They are very, very close. Okay, to give you a sense of this, all three of these places might be in between the distance from Marietta to Skinny Atlas. Okay. In the eight miles between the ranch and Skinny Atlas is the area where all of these places here could be seen. Bethel, Ai, Shechem, the plain of Moray. The elevation, of course, was somewhat different. We live in a valley in Marietta, so you can't see everything from there. But those of you that are familiar enough with our area, let me just move to a slightly different spot. If you drive up Route 20, up the hill, from Marietta towards Skinny Atlas, there's the big milk farm there, Richards and Sons. Okay, from that spot, if you look out over the land to the north, to the east and the west, you can see probably three or four times the distance that are described in this biblical account of Abraham. There's one spot there by this massive manure pile from the Richards farm, when you're looking out over this thing that you can easily see 10 miles in every different direction. You can't see down into Marietta because we're over the hill, down the valley, and through the woods. 
and so you can't see down that deep. But to give you an idea, this is what we're talking about. And Abraham comes to this moment in coming to a vista like that and seeing three different places that all, as we read in Genesis, represented very, very different ideas and meanings and interpretations, and he pitched his tent in a particular area. You know, brothers and sisters and friends, for you and I, this really describes our life. We are living in a moment, especially in the past year, where we were put into a place where we could see different things that were going on in life, in different areas, even the news media, the things that we were reading, we were sort of on a vista, seeing all things that were going on around us. And as we were seeing these things happen, we all have to make a choice as to where we're going to pitch our tent. It's a little bit different from you and I owning houses. We own a house and we look out, you know, normally the window of that house, we're looking out of five years, 10 years, 20 years, we see the same view out of the house, okay? In Abraham's journey, where he pitched his tent and kept on moving, he had no permanent abode, no dwelling place that he was going to be at for 20 years, and part of his journey, it kept on moving, and these are sort of the different glimpses, the different views and visions that he had of his life and his journey. In that regard... You and I pitching tents, you know, tents might be a more realistic expression of what our life is like, even though we live in the same walls for most of us a long time. You know, as I'm easily looking over the crowd here and, and just judging for sure, you know, the average time that we've been in our homes exceeds 15 years, few less, few a lot more. But we're in one spot. That's not the life of Abraham. He pitched his tent in different places. And you know what? As you and I go through our journey in life, we might live in the same house. But we also will pitch our tents in different places along the way. And the question this morning is, where are we pitching our tents? Well, let's look a little bit into the Choices that Abraham made here on his odyssey and that of his clan. In this moment, Abraham received a historic promise from God. A promise that was so big, and if I can use the word so wild, so big and so wild, that Abraham could not even imagine how God was going to fulfill this promise to him. He told him, everything you see is going to be yours. He told him, your seed is going to inherit all of this. We just read with each other, the Canaanite was in the land. Abraham being given a promise of something that was to come in the future and hardly could imagine how it was that we're going to wind up getting there. And God promises each of us the promise of eternal life, the promise of redemption, the promise of being united with him in all eternity. And he says that the ages will be ours. 
And sometimes you and I, from the vista, the place in which we stand, we can't hardly imagine how it is that we're going to wind up getting there from here. Abraham makes a choice in these three different places that he sees, Ai, Shechem, and Bethel, where he is going to pitch his tent. And the Bible tells us that he pitched his tent near Bethel. Now, you know what? Genesis is kind of like, believe it or not, it's sort of like a modern-day movie that will fast-forward about things that happened in places in the future, and then we return backward to, to the present. So things happen in Ai and in Bethel and in Shechem in the future. Things happen there. And we find meaning in the choices that Abraham made when we understand what Genesis tells us about the things that happened there in those places. Let's talk for a moment with each other about Bethel. About Bethel. Okay, Bethel is a hugely important place in the narrative that Genesis is telling us. We see in this first moment where Abraham is given his promise, at Bethel he builds an altar to the Lord and he pitches his tent there. Genesis is telling us that Abraham, of all the different choices that he had in life, chose to pitch his tent near Bethel where he would worship his God. This was the choice that Abraham made to pitch his tent there. It turns out that this place of Bethel has, is a place where others of his descendants would also find God. We don't read anything in the Bible, I don't believe, about Isaac. In Bethel, at least, I haven't been able to find it. On the other hand, if we advance one more generation to Jacob, we find that Bethel played a significant place in the life of Jacob. Of course, after he had deceived his brother and left, we find that Jacob in Bethel had his dream of his ladder to heaven. And that dream that he had so impressed him as he spoke with God after the dream, which we're going to read with each other, he built an altar there at Bethel. It wasn't the first and only altar. It was the first. It wasn't the only altar that Jacob built there. Jacob later in his life built another altar at Bethel from other experiences that he had with God that we're going to get to. But Bethel, God is sometimes called the God of Bethel. You remember that from the Old Testament? The God of Bethel. In Abraham's journey, and in your journey and in mine, Bethel is like the place where we pitch our tent, where we are really actively seeking communion and relationship with God. 
There are windows of time and windows of life where we might move our tent some and pitch it elsewhere. But then there are these seasons of life where we take new particular interest in worshiping the God of Bethel and renew the Ebenezer that we had built also in our lives at that point and return to that place where we can seek God and his voice and his purpose and his meaning in life. Turn now with me for a moment to Shechem. I want to put this in, in uh, again, in a little bit context for you to imagine what this was like. So the Bible describes a plain called the Plain of Moray near Shechem. And at that spot, one of the noteworthy um, things in the landscape was what the Bible calls a great oak at Shechem. So frankly, I don't know by our standards how great of an oak it would be if you actually would look at that area that is pretty barren, okay, until you get into the hills of Bethel, you can imagine that one tree alone standing out on some plain would catch everybody's attention. On the other hand, the concept of a great oak is different for them than it is for you and me. You know what? I've never walked, sad to say, maybe Jacob and Dana have, but I've never walked from Marietta to Skinny Atlas. I couldn't tell you how many large oaks there might be of note between Marietta and Skinny Atlas. There could be several. But in my life, I don't walk like they did in their lives. They saw things that to them were noteworthy because of the way that they journeyed. And in the way that they journeyed, those things were noteworthy to them. A lot of very interesting things happened in Shechem that we read throughout the Bible. They're not all that nice, but many important things happen there. You might describe Shechem as the place where a lot of people events happen in life. There were births that the Bible describes in Shechem, deaths of things that happened in Shechem and like, we read as an example later on that Deborah, the handmaiden of Rebekah, died and was buried under the oak tree at Shechem. We read later in Jacob's life when he uh, wanted to again renew, I would say, his path toward God. He went to his clan and he insisted that they give him all of the idols that they had brought with them from the house of Laban. He collects all those things and he buries them under the oak in Shechem. Joseph is sent to his brothers who are, guess where, in Shechem. And is there at that place that he is 
abused by his brothers effectively and sold into slavery. See, we read the Bible and we think that, oh, these things are so far apart from each other. And we can't hardly imagine that these are in vistas, that it's just right there. It's just right there that that thing happened. Just right there that that other thing happened. All within one glance, so to speak, of where we sometimes stand in our lives. Shechem actually might be like the people issues of life. The people issues of life that we see all the time. Ai, on the other hand, if we move to the last one, Ai is where the battles of Joshua were fought. Ai, um, we actually, because of the battles that are described there, we might think of Ai as the like ideological battles that we have in life. In our moment in time, we actually might think of the political world in which we're living in happening at Ai. And so this is a thing that we're all um, at times struggling with. We have Bethel, we have Ai, we have Shechem. Where, brothers and sisters, do we pitch our tent? Where in this pandemic have we pitched our tent? In my experience, as I'm just honest about life, there are so many different, there's a huge temptation in the world in which we live to want to pitch our tent at Shechem or Ai. The pull in so many different ways is to be focusing on the people issues of life, focusing on the ideological issues of life. Um, they, They pull us so strongly in those places. But, you know, there are times where we each, we have to decide, like, where am I going to pitch my tent? You know what? In our journey in life, never, never feel bad about striking your tent poles and pitching a new place for your tent. It's a choice we can make every day. And there are times as we go through life that we realize we've gravitated perhaps closer than we want to to other places and decide, you know what? Get up this morning, get a different view of what things are looking like on the horizon and pitch your tent in a different place. Pitch your tent in a better place like Abraham did. So many resources in life are taken up at Ai and Shechem. And I'm not saying for a moment that those places are nothing. Should we as believers play a role in the ideological battles of our culture? I think that we should. I think that we should. Others would disagree. Others would put up, pull up their tent poles and they move to a place that's completely isolated and think that they shouldn't interact with the culture in which we live. You know, what I, I personally feel, this is my personal thing in my life, this is just me, but it's not so much a choice that I made and it's not so much a choice that my father made. In my father's younger years, he lived in a place where he was isolated. After the war, immigrating to Germany, having lost everything, No assets, no nothing. He comes to America, he moves here. He can't move to a spot where he's isolated. He lands in Bergen County, New Jersey. All the good pieces of land had probably been bought up 200 years before that. Okay, he lives in an urban culture. 
That's the culture that I was raised in. Okay, God makes no mistakes in that regard. And although I enjoy living in a place where we're living that's a little bit secluded in my mind and in my heart and in my job and in my profession and the things that we do, we are living in a semi-urban culture that is not isolated from those things. I wouldn't look disparagingly on somebody that would decide to make a choice to do that. We each make our own choices in life. But we have to understand, like Martin Luther said, what is the battle in which we're in and the one that's facing us now? And there we must engage. But it's an interesting kind of thing. We interact sometimes at AI, but we don't really pitch our tent there. We interact sometimes in the world of Shechem and the things that go on, but we don't pitch our tent there. Our tent is actually pitched elsewhere. And as it was throughout our journey in life, we go and we make the three-mile journey, the four-mile journey to these different places as God would give us opportunity and as things, events arise in life that we go to those places, but our tent is pitched someplace else. A moment about Jacob and to read some of the things uh, in the life of Jacob. Sometimes I think in our sentiment, with a kind of sentimental reading that we have of the scripture, we might sometimes misunderstand the characters that are really there. So let me tell you something about Jacob, okay? A great man of God who made all these awesome experiences with God and even a nation founded on him by name. God told Abraham he was going to found a nation on him. God changed Abraham's name, but the nation in which he lived was not founded on Abraham or Avram. The nation that would be his was founded on the name of his grandson Jacob, Israel. Jacob in his life was not a guy that was put together. As I remind you some things about Jacob, you're going to, I think, recognize that Jacob was a man with a lot of brokenness in his life that really suffered through dysfunctions, some of his own choices and some that were not his choices, he inherited dysfunctions from the environment and from the family in which he was raised and brought up. We might think that he was a guy that was completely together. I think he was a guy that lived throughout his life with many dysfunctional things and learned throughout the dysfunctions to move his heart and his mind toward God, who gave him a new identity. He didn't inherit an identity. He was given an identity through his struggles with God. As an example, his family dysfunctions. His parents had deep problems in their marital relationships. His parents had peculiar things that were going on with broken loyalties amongst their children and with each other. They did not have a relationship that was open that they could speak together about things and resolve things. His parents cohabited, but more or less lived in their own lives. We know, of course, that uh, Jacob's mother was one who was inclined to intrigue in life. She appears to have been, although somewhat good-hearted in some ways, have manipulative tendencies in her life that played out into the lives of her children and clearly into the lives of Jacob and his brother Esau. We see that there were false loyalties that were in the family group that really injured these children. 
that were patterns of deception that really left like deep-seated injury in Jacob's life. And he repeated the pattern of deception that he learned. He not only repeated the pattern, he actually became a, um, um, a victim of other deceptions in his life when people treated him like he treated others. And these things left Jacob with deep, deep wounds. And we find as we walk in life, as we read the story, as an example, I'm quickly going to read it in Genesis 28 about his dream. He came to God in a very broken moment. He felt very, very guilty about what he had done to his brother, and he ran away from his brother. And that is the context of him having the dream that was lifted toward heaven. A beautiful dream, but you know what? Jacob was not in a spiritual moment when that dream came to him. He was in a broken, hurt moment when that dream came to him and God lifted him to a different place. You know what? I'm not going to spend the time to read these two things, but you know this is going to be on the tape, and I'll tell you exactly where to go to read in Genesis 28 from 10 to 19, where we find the um, important um, aspects of his dream he had there. But the thing that I do want to mention to you from this is that um, at that place of that dream in Bethel is where God told him, I'm going to change your name. My point is, through the brokenness in Jacob's life, and through all the things that he did to try to find meaning and purpose, it was at Bethel that he found meaning and identity and purpose given to him from God. How many in our culture and in our time are screaming for meaning? looking in other places to give them purpose and give them an integration point into life, give them somehow some kind of stability that lets them know who they are. And they're looking at all kinds of things to be able to do that. And frankly, it's a crash and burn situation. They can't find it there. The message of Genesis, of Abraham actually finding his name was changed too at Bethel. Jacob, his grandson, going back to that place. And you know what? Let's get this right. When Jacob went back to Bethel, this is not sent him like, oh, this is where his grandfather also saw God. No, okay? Jacob, Jacob in his generation and in his life needed to go through a brand new life experience just like his grandfather Abraham had. And in a new and special and unique way, at that same place of Bethel, God spoke to Jacob. God spoke to him there. It was just coincidence that Jacob was at Bethel when he found that dream, when he had that dream. So God, in his goodness, leads us to those Bethel places sometimes. When he sees that our hearts are open, Our tents might not even be pitched, but he sees that our hearts are open and then he makes that place Bethel for us as we're drawn into communion, fellowship, relationship with him. 
in Genesis 32, when he wrestles with God, that again is not far away from this place. Very, very close. Not quite at Bethel, but very close. God tells Jacob, you have a new name. I am calling you Israel. Genesis 35, moving forward, we find that Jacob again goes back to Bethel. God tells him again, build an altar for me at Bethel. And again, God tells him the same thing again. I am giving you a new name. You know what? When God gives us an identity, God is not a God that sort of whispers it to us once and then walks away. Our God is a God that reaffirms to us in our lives the identity that we have with him. Sometimes in the most vulnerable moments, he comes to us in his goodness and his arm that is not too short to reach us in our need and reaffirms to us the identity that we have in him. Sometimes there are those great grandiose moments in life where we are, so to speak, on the mountaintop. Where we feel all the goodness of the God in that moment and he reaffirms to us the identity that we have in him. You are my child and I've called you by your name and I love you and I mean only good things for you in your life. I have a plan for you in your life. I will walk you through all the steps of your life. Have faith in me. Believe. Persevere. Continue on with me. I love you. You are mine. Genesis teaches us that we find our true identity in life from wrestling with God. Wrestling with God is where we find our identity. There are some here among us that are wrestling with God. You know what? That is such a good thing. Go wrestle on. Wrestle with God. Sometimes, you know what, when you see people wrestling in life, you have these uh, you know, moments of empathy and say, oh, I wish their battle would be over. You know what, I'm not going to stand in God's way of him interacting with the soul, and I would not rob them of that moment that they have with God that reflects the dream, that reflects the wrestling with God, where ultimately they are blessed, receive their identity, and get a new name. I pray for you and I say, wrestle on. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This is not a one-time thing. I would like to remind you that when Jacob wrestled with God, it was not right after he left, uh, he left his brother. He had a big household. He had everything that God was pr- promising him, so to speak. And yet, the guilt that he had over violating his brother and the guilt that he had, even though he had received it all, actually, He realized in that moment that ultimately God's blessing was the thing in life that really mattered and the thing in life that was really his integration point. That was his zero-zero in a Cartesian coordinate plane. It came to that point in his life. And you know the point I'm trying to make? We sometimes wrestle with God also. People of faith wrestle with God. God renews his identity with us as we wrestle with him. 
This is not a bad thing. And if we're going through valleys in life in certain periods of time where we're wrestling with God, God means even the wrestling in a good way. Because at the end, we come out again with a new name. We come out with a renewed blessing. Maybe a bit of a sore hip. But in our journey and God's plan, it's all part of his greater purpose with us. Our culture needs to hear that we actually find our true identity from wrestling with God, not wrestling with other popular things. You know what? People are not going to find meaning in wokeness. They will not find purpose in political ideologies. We find identity and we find a new name in wrestling with God. This morning I say it's good to wrestle. We need to pray for each other as we wrestle. And God means only good things to come out of it. We should be glad. You know what? Rather, rather than somebody living autonomously in their own life and not even having a God moment, I would much rather see people in a God moment where they're wrestling with God. It might be painful in the moment, but I'd much rather see them wrestling with God than putting God in a closet and just going about their merry lives. Wrestling is good. I might sometimes like to think that it would be good for people if their battles are over, but I'm really changing my mind. God's purpose is great. His ways are the best of ways. And we should find renewed strength and really, uh, you know, a, a renewed sense of gratitude where we realize wrestling with God is where he reforms our identity and gives us the kind of strength we really need for all the things in life that lie ahead. I pray for each one of you that God bless you in this week and that you feel God's purpose and God's sense of identity in a strong way. If you are wrestling with God, Continue wrestling and beg God for his blessing that will ultimately come in the end. And realize also that our identity in Christ is the thing, is the faith that ultimately will lead us into the promised land of the things that we can't touch and we can't feel. But he says, I have these things promised for you. And you will learn of me in Bethel. Pitch your tent there. I will meet you there.